book of Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. No special tonight. Uh, I think I sang enough for everybody this morning. And so we're not going to have a special at all tonight. If you weren't here this morning, don't worry about it. Nothing happened that you need to know about. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes. It is on tape. It's live streamed. And so... Uh, many people were nice enough to let me know that it was live streamed, including my family. My sister texts me and she says, so do you know how it feels? And I'm like, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, they're ruthless. So Ecclesiastes chapter number seven. And uh, as you make your way there, uh, I'm mindful of the time tonight. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to say I'm going to try to be short. I will be short. I promise you tonight. I will be brief. I will be short. Uh, one reason is because of the business meeting that is supposed to happen after this. I'm excited about that. I know a little bit about what they're going to talk about. And I'm excited to see what uh, God has done in 2019 and what God will do in 2020 through you sitting in the, in the pew tonight. And so don't, uh, we're going to take a break after I preach. Don't uh, go home. Uh, go get a drink and go to the bathroom. Come back in and listen to the deacons. Give the report and talk about God's goodness. You don't want to miss that. And so uh, I'll say this, that if you uh, leave and um, it's for any other reason than uh, you're sick, you're not feeling well, you have somewhere you have to be. If you leave tonight and you miss the business meeting, then you really don't get to have an opinion later about the condition. Is that fair? I think it's fair. I think it's fair if you're, if you're going to hang out with somebody or watch the Pro, uh, Pro Bowl highlights or whatever. Uh, I think that's great, but watch it later. You want to be a part of the business meeting tonight. It'll be a blessing and a help to you to know about where our church is at and know about the goodness of God and know about how he's going to be good in 2020. And so I will be very brief tonight. Also going to be brief because we're going to continue last week's message and kind of finish up a couple of things that we left out, finish out the chapter. By the way, I'm sorry about last week. Uh, I preached almost an hour and that's just not right. I shouldn't be doing that and so thank you for giving me the grace to uh, preach but uh, tonight we're going to make up for it and I'm going to be rapid speed so Ecclesiastes chapter number seven we'll read verse 11 and 12 but we're going to cover the rest of the chapter tonight it says wisdom is good with an inheritance and by it there is profit to them that see the sun for wisdom is a defense and money is a defense but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Great, powerful verse. Wisdom giveth life to them that have it. And that's what I want to talk to you about very briefly tonight as we continue last week. We talked about wisdom is better. And tonight I'm going to talk to you about this life-changing wisdom, all right? Life-changing wisdom or life-giving wisdom, I should say. And so let's go to the Lord, ask his blessings upon the service tonight, and then we'll go through the outline and then uh, we'll go into the business meeting. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done already today, this morning, through the preaching, through the singing, everything. It was so wonderful to uh, uh, lift your voice. Saw many visitors this morning and uh, saw some people come to the altar and pray and uh, Lord I pray that you just continue uh, to work on the hearts of the people here at Wooden Valley Baptist Church and Lord uh, I don't want to spoil anything or share anything I'm not supposed to share I'll let uh, the deacons do that but I am excited to hear about what you've done and what you're going to continue to do Lord we have a lot to be thankful for so much to be thankful for as a church your goodness to us not even financially necessarily lord you're good in general but lord you've been good to our church financially you've taken care of this church and i'm excited to see what you're going to do I, I do pray that you'd be with the men be with the deacons and pastors as they present uh lord as they present they're they're presenting on behalf of the membership i hope that uh the membership understands that and lord uh, that we'd let them know we appreciate them and their sacrifice of their time and their energy and their effort uh lord to uh take away from their jobs and their families 
families, uh, vacations and all those different things, Lord, and to spend time uh, looking out for the flock, Lord, in, in an extension of pastor's ministry to look out for the flock and to fulfill uh, the office of a deacon. Lord, I'm so thankful for the good men that you've placed in this church. Lord, I pray for tonight as I go out uh, of this outline, I go over it, Lord. I pray that you just help me. Uh, I yield myself the best I know how. Speak to me, through me tonight. Although it'll be short, I think it's powerful. I think it's important, Lord. So thank you for speaking tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, we just read two verses, so I'm going to read them to you again as we get started this evening. Verse number 11, it says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. Verse 12, For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. So you understand right off the bat that Solomon does not condemn riches, nor does he condemn having money. And I, I just by coincidence that I'm preaching this message has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about here in just a moment with the deacons, but I'm thankful for money. I am thankful for money, and it's not inherently wrong, and it's not inherently bad. And he even says it can be used as a defense when it is paired with wisdom. Money, the, excuse me, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not, the, not money. Money's, there's nothing wrong with money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. We could even say it this way, that money minus wisdom equals destruction. All right, and so he's not condemning uh, riches and not condemning having money, and he's saying that it is okay to have money, and when you pair it with wisdom, you can do some great things. Wisdom is a life giver, he says in verse number 12. That wisdom giveth life to them that have it. So here's the question tonight. We're going to get right into the lesson, very short, but here's the question I want to ask. How do we get life-giving wisdom? Last week we said, how do we get God's wisdom? And just to add to it tonight, I just want us to look real quickly on how to get uh, life-giving wisdom. So if you're taking notes, a few things very quickly. Number one, I want you to notice that if we're going to get the wisdom of God, we're going to get life-giving wisdom. Live life with a high view of God, he says. Live life with a high view of God. Solomon tells us how we're going to develop a high opinion of God. A couple of things very quickly. Number one, rest in the providence of God, he says. If we're going to get a high opinion of God, we need to rest in His providence. Look with me at verse number 13 and 14. It says, Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which He hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God also hath set the one over against the other, and uh, to the end that man should uh, find nothing after him. So Solomon uh, tells us that if we're going to get a higher opinion of God and have a high perspective of God, we must learn to rest in the providence of God. We must learn to rest in another word for providence, sovereignty, the control of God. Simply put, Solomon is saying that God works through bends and turns, not always in a straight line. Did you see that? Verse, uh, verse number 12, or excuse me, verse number 13, consider the work of God who can make that straight which he hath made crooked. God does not always work in a straight line. Sometimes he works through bends and through turns. God doesn't always elect, here's what he's saying, he doesn't always elect to show us the end from the beginning. All right? God does not always show us the end from the beginning. I sure am thankful when he does, because when he shows me the end from the beginning, it takes a lot less faith to trust him, doesn't it? 
But he doesn't always elect to do that. And I believe it's for that very reason is because he does not want us to depend on the plan necessarily, but depend on the maker of the plan. And so God doesn't always elect to show us the end from the beginning. At times, he finds appropriate to only show us what is right in front of us. He works through bends and through turns. And not only does he work through bends and turns, I like this one. He works through adversity, not just prosperity. Verse number uh, 14, it says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. But notice who is responsible for both. Notice who is responsible for putting into motion both our prosperous days and our non-prosperous days, our days that are filled with adversity. It says at the end, it says, God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. God sets before us our days of prosperity, but he reminds us that he also sets before us our days of adversity. And that's contrary sometimes to what we think, is it not? We're going through a particularly difficult day, and we like to blame Satan for our adversity. And sometimes he is to blame for our adversity, but you know, nothing has ever happened to you. No adversity has ever taken place that God did not first allow to happen into your life. And so he's simply saying, hey, don't blame Satan for your days of adversity because God works through prosperity, but he also works through adversity. Matter of fact, he put both days in motion in your life. The prosperous days and the days of adversity. Solomon is saying that we must understand that both prosperity, here it is, both prosperity and adversity should drive us closer to God. They should. They don't always drive us closer to God. But he says that they should drive us closer to God. Prosperity drives us to God in thankfulness. All right? Prosperity drives us to God in thankfulness. Whenever things are going well, he's already established this, you better thank God because it comes from him, not from you. And so uh, whenever, you're, whenever God prospers you and he elects to give you things and, and give you possessions or give you a, a position, it ought to drive you closer to God in thankfulness. Man, thank God for giving me this. Thank God for giving me my family or this promotion and all those different things. And so prosperity ought to drive us closer to God in thankfulness, but adversity drives us closer to God in trust. And trust, man, when things are getting difficult and things are getting rough and and it's adverse and you're not sure what's on the morrow, you can trust him because he's sovereign. And you can trust him because he's in control. And so God works through both. And they both, that's, that's, that's the objective of the Christian life, is it not? For us to draw nigh to God and for him to draw nigh to us. And so God will use things in our lives, both prosperity and also adversity, for one goal, and that is to bring us closer to God. Solomon tells us how to develop a high opinion of God or a high view of God. He says, rest in the providence of God. But he also says, recognize the patience of God. We serve a patient God. We serve a long-suffering God who is long-suffering to usward. Look at verse 15. He says, all things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. One of the most powerful verses in all of the Old Testament. He says, yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. 
Hey, you got a healthy fear of God. It doesn't matter if he prospers you. It doesn't matter if he gives you adversity. He's going to prosper you in the end if you fear him. Here in these verses, Solomon is addressing the age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? It wasn't new with Solomon, and it's, it's not new to us. It's a question that we ask all the time. Why is it that the wicked prosper, and why is it that the righteous feel like they're forsaken? And so that's an age-old question that we ask. Why is it that the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous hunger? And you know what Solomon summarizes in his answer? Here's what he summarizes, verse 18. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Here's his answer very simply. It's all in the hands of a sovereign and patient God. It's all in the hands of a sovereign and a patient God. And it might seem, we're going to talk about this, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it might seem like God has forsaken you and it might seem like God has just taken his hands off of society and allowed the wicked to prosper and allow those who are doing good uh, to feel the condemnation of man. But just know that God gets the last word. God's going to have the last word, and you know who he's going to uphold? Those who fear him. Next to verse 18, you could write down Psalm 73 and verse number 17, down through verse number 20, the Psalm of Asaph. He says this, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Right before this, he almost verbatim says exactly what Solomon says in saying, I don't understand why the righteous are forsaken. I don't understand why those who are, are do good and, and or excuse me, those who do no righteousness are uplifted and those who do no righteousness prosper. I don't understand until I come into the presence of God, the sanctuary of God, then I understand therein. And in, in, in another word, he's saying exactly what Solomon said, God gets the last word. And I understand that God gets the word, a uh, last word, and he is going to uphold those that fear him. Solomon says that if we're going to get life-giving wisdom, we must have a high view of God. Secondly and lastly, here's what he says. If we're going to get the life-changing wisdom, or excuse me, life-giving wisdom, we need to live life with an honest view of man. We must live life with an honest view of man, an honest view of yourself, myself, and society around us. He tells us a few things about how to develop that healthy perspective. Here's what he says. Number one, man is condemned spiritually. Man is condemned spiritually. It's right here in the text. Look what he says in verse number 19. Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Not a single one. Kind of sounds like what Paul said in Romans 3 verse number 23 when he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You could write that right next to the Solomon's words and saying, There is not a just man on the face of the earth. Solomon says exactly what Paul said in Romans. There's not a just man that has ever lived on the face of the earth. We are all sinners. We all fall short. None of us are righteous. No, not one. How do we develop an honest view of man? Remember that man is condemned spiritually and my how condemned we are. But he also says this, man is cruel socially. We're cruel. We're an er I, I don't remember who it was that did the report, but we are inerrantly bad, not inerrantly good. Let me just add to that. We are capable of some pretty wicked, heinous things. Man is. Even in our redeemed state, when we're not living under the subjection of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're capable of saying, doing, and participating in some pretty wicked things. We are naturally cruel without God. Verse 21, he says, also take no heed unto all words that are spoken. I love this. 
take no heed uh, to words that are, uh, that are spoken, lest thou hear the servant curse thee. For oft times also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. You know what Solomon is saying? He's here's, here's what he's saying. It's foolish for the pot to call the kettle black. Don't put yourself in a position where you are frustrated and angry at someone who's doing you wrong and forget that you are just as capable and just as guilty of speaking ill against other people. That's what he's very simply saying. Don't get so uptight when people talk bad about you and forget that you have been guilty of talking bad about other people. I was studying uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it was probably about a month ago, I was studying over uh, at this coffee shop that I like to go to, and ironically, this coffee shop is located in a church building. And I'm sitting there, and I'm studying, and I like to study and listen to some ambient music as I'm studying, and uh, it was in between songs, and I couldn't, I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but I couldn't help but hear these two ladies discussing next to me, and uh, they were talking, uh, I believe that they went there, and they were talking, and I, I'm just serious, it caught my attention, they were talking, and this one lady was so uptight, and here's what she said, I'm quoting her almost perfectly, she said, well, you know what that person does, all they like to do is talk bad about other people behind their back. And my wife will tell you, I'm not very good at hiding my facial expressions. And I couldn't help myself. I literally said, I said nothing. But I just looked at her in disarray. I couldn't believe that she was saying that. Is that not the attitude that we have so often though? Uh, we're so frustrated and we're bent out of shape about what other people are doing and what other people are saying and how other people are so cruel. We forget exactly why God had to save us. Because we're just as capable, we're just as cruel. If we're going to get an honest perspective of man, we must realize that man is condemned spiritually and how spiritually condemned we are. We must realize that man is cruel socially. He also says this, man is confined mentally. Man is confined mentally. There's a limitation, there's a limitation on the knowledge that we can attain. Why? Because we're man. We're not God. It separates us from God in that he is omniscient and we are not. Do you realize who's saying this though? This is Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live. Look what he says. He says in verse 23, he says, All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. It was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, uh, who can find it out? I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reasons of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And so here Solomon tells us about this quest that he went on to attain knowledge of his own. Now he appeared before God and God, or excuse me, God appeared before Solomon and he said, I'm going to give you wisdom. And he, he welcomed the wisdom of God, but that wasn't enough for Solomon. That was all Solomon needed, but it wasn't enough for Solomon. And so he went out on this journey trying to attain the, wisdom of, uh, wi the wisdom of man and trying to attain uh, the wisdom that is not of God. Solomon desires to know the depths of wisdom and get his mind around it, but he summarizes in verse 23 by saying, I said I will be wise. I'm going to be wise, man. I'm going to go out. I'm going to seek out. I'm going to find out everything that there is to know about madness and foolishness and wickedness and all the things that he addresses in regards to verse number 23 and verse number 24. He says, I sought out all the wisdom, but it was far from me. It's just beyond my grasp, man. I couldn't attain it. It wasn't something that I could attain. And so again, this is Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said that man has a limit on the wisdom that they can get. A uh, man has a wisdom on the, uh, on the knowledge that they can get. You say, I know that, Lamar. Act like it sometimes. Because are we not prone to act like we know every single thing under the sun? 
We're so inclined. We are, we are literally the poster child of wisdom. And, and Solomon says that there's foolishness in that. You, it, there's wisdom that you can't attain. There's wisdom that you cannot glean. If we're going to get an honest perspective of man, we must realize that man is condemned spiritually. We must remember that man is cruel socially. We must remember that man is confined mentally. He says this, number four, man is corrupt morally. We're corrupt morally. Look at the personal testimony that he gives in verse number 26. He says, and I find more bitter than death the woman. <laughs> Better be careful what I say about that. Whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher. Look at this. Counting one by one to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all these have I not found. Solomon gets real for just a moment and talks about his pursuit of, of life, love, and the pursuit of, of happiness. I mean, seriously, this is Solomon's testimony, and this is kind of what we've been developing over the past several weeks. He's desperately trying to find meaning in all avenues but God. And so he tries, again, wealth, and we've talked about all these things. I know I'm a broken record here, but he goes down the avenue of pursuing relationships with all these different women. And so we know that according to 1 Kings or 2 Kings, I believe it is chapter number 11, that he goes and, and it says that he has seven hundred wives married and 300 concubines a thousand women are a part of Solomon's life he has a thousand relationships with these different women and so here in verse 26 and 27 Solomon tells us he tells us what it got him and he tells us how he got there did you read it one by one one by one that's what he says pursued a relationship with this woman and I found that there was no satisfaction there and I pursued a relationship with this woman on down the line over and over again. He's pursuing the relationship with these women. And he's saying one by one, I tried to find this meaning and I tried to find this purpose. And seeking after the lust of Solomon's flesh led Solomon down the path of moral compromise. Remember, we read about Solomon and God had great things to say about Solomon. One of the greatest kings in the nation of Israel's history. And this, this, this never-ending cycle of meaningless pursuit led Solomon doing, to doing things he said he would never do. He would never be guilty of it. led him down a, a path of moral compromise. We know this based off of what we've been discussing over the past several weeks. But moral compromise led Solomon down the path of deep depression. Once he realized, oh wait, there is no meaning aside from God. We're going to get there whenever we get to chapter number 12, but uh, that's what Solomon summarizes and says, you know what, this one thing I've learned, that I, I, I cannot find meaning outside of the will of God. Life was meaningless. So Solomon says, if we're going to get an honest perspective of man, we must realize that man is condemned spiritually, we're cruel socially, we're confined mentally, we're corrupt spiritually but then he says this lastly letter e man is coaxed easily we're coaxed so easily we're manipulated so easily we're distracted i mean it, uh, seriously satan can wave the smallest of carrots in front of us and we'll be arrayed and we'll be distracted because we're so easily coaxed he ends in in verse number 29 by saying lo this only have i found that god hath made man upright but they have sought out many inventions they sought out many inventions. The word inventions means vices or strongholds. Vices or strongholds, it means immoral, wicked behavior. But understand that that's not how God made us initially, is it? 
That's what he said. God did not initially make us to be so easily distracted. He did not make us to pursue after those vices and those strongholds. Solomon says that God made man upright. God designed man to be virtuous and righteous. He, uh, his intended purpose of man was to willingly seek after him. But one problem, we are so easily distracted. And uh, don't be too hard on Adam because I've heard it said that if Adam didn't mess it up, you would have messed it up somewhere along the lines. Why? We're easily coaxed. We're easily manipulated. We're easily distracted. God made man upright, but man is not content pursuing God. Never has been, never will be. Man is trying to find meaning and fulfillment in every other vice or avenue except for having a personal relationship with God. In the Garden of Eden, God gave man all he needed, all the resources necessary to maintain a righteous relationship with him. But Genesis 3, verse number 6, we know it says this, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be, here it is, desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes, I love how, how he puts this, and the eyes of them both were opened. From the very beginning, all the way until now, one thing can be said of man above anything else, and that is we are so gullible. We are so easily manipulated. Satan sometimes, I feel like for some of us, doesn't even really have to try to get us to fall. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29, Lo, this only have I found that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. We're so easily distracted. In summary, we'll close. We see that in order to obtain the life-giving wisdom of God, we must have a healthy perspective of God and an honest perspective of the nature of man. It is when we balance those two perspectives that we can attain life-giving wisdom, Solomon says. Got to have a healthy perspective or a high perspective of God and an honest perspective of man. Lord, I pray that you'd be with tonight.